welcome to the Aussie Movie Podcast. It's episode 25 of the podcast where we talk about cars and films and TV and online and all of that good stuff. I'm Chris Ratcliffe, I'm here with Martin Spain, and today we're going to be looking at two documentaries about being racing drivers. But first, some kerfuffle from the world of YouTube. Yeah, this is a, an interesting story that broke the last week or so, although rumblings were going on before that. Uh, the popular build channel on YouTube called B is for Build was working on a Mustang Resto mod to make a... No, sorry, a, a backdate. A, a Mustang backdate rest. It's kind of the two, though. It's taking a 2015... Ford Mustang, and then taking all of its body off and putting a Shelby Mustang GT500 Eleanor from Gone in 60 Seconds body on the top of it. I've been following this build along on Beers for Build. It's not really my kind of build. They've done some other stuff I've been more into, like the the, the Lamborghini, uh, the Subaru, Subaru BRZ, and then a GTR quite recently as well, which is quite fun. But I enjoy watching this kind of thing because it's so clear that they love that kind of car. They love the Mustang with a Coyote V8 in it and they look like they're having a great time doing the build. And it seems that the rights holders for not only the name Eleanor but also the the appearance of the Eleanor Mustang have got in touch with their lawyers and said, you must cease and desist this build. And not only that, they've seized the car. So the whole build, all the videos have gone from YouTube and they've taken the car away because they own the rights to everything to do with that, seemingly. So he posted a video, which you can see on his face, he's not happy about it, but you can also see he's consulted with the lawyer and the lawyer has said, you can't say anything, you can't do anything, you have no, you don't have a leg to stand on right now. Interestingly, he does give his opinion on the people who have made this legal action. Uh, he says they're terrible people parading as car people with a history of, <laughs> and I love this bit, with a history of being lawsuit-happy dickheads. <laughs> Which just about sums this up. This seems extraordinarily petty. I understand protecting your copyright, but this seems excessive. Lots of commenters on the thread are... Um, the article's on thedrive.com and there's quite a few commenters saying, but there's loads of other Eleanor builds all over YouTube. And I think that's true. There are others mm. and quite high profile ones that seem to have avoided this treatment. Now, BS for Build is very popular. He's got over a million subscribers for the channel and this was quite a popular build. So perhaps that just tipped it into the public consciousness too much for them. And they went, no, we can't have this. But honestly, he's not looking to compete with them. He was building that car for himself. They weren't going to start churning out copies and competing with the team at goneinsixtyseconds.com and the um, the licensed people from Brand New Muscle Car. This just reeks of pettiness and we're suing some small guy because we can. It makes it feel like they enjoy it. And my reaction to this was, fuck those guys. <laughs> um, the team at Beers for Build are moving on to new and you know presumably better builds it's a shame this one won't get finished they clearly all had quite a bit of their heart and soul into it and they were very excited about the way they'd been able to integrate things like reversing camera and parking sensors into the the sort of Eleanor bodywork um, so you were going to have a very usable car with a modern interior with things like you know CarPlay and Bluetooth and all that good stuff but with the exterior looking traditional and it's just a crying shame you won't get to see it finished 
I'm not in the market for a Gone in 60 Seconds, Eleanor. I am on record as not caring about that car <laughs> at all, but I, I loathe it even more now. Um, and I do feel for, for Chris and his team, and uh, just as a gesture of solidarity, I'm going to keep watching his channel. And even if he's building other things I'm not that into, just because I like his attitude of can do, and he's not let this sync the channel he's like well okay we can't do anything about it move on on to the next thing but yes it's a terrible shame that legal um wranglings have to spoil something that was clearly a passion project for them according to the drive article the likeness is trademarked by the widow of hb halicki yeah who created the original gone in 60 seconds and his widow i don't know if this is part of an agreement when they made the 2000 film but I guess they must see that as some sort of pension or some sort of continuing revenue stream. Because I can't imagine that Hollywood movies are exactly great when it comes to giving people ongoing royalties from things. Who knows? I, I it, Like you said, they don't strike me as car people or particularly nice people. This strikes me as just being assholes because mm. they can. And yes, maybe there is a bit of, oh, we want to protect our, our revenue stream and pension or whatever. This was not a threat to that. This is just no. doing it because they can. So, Agreed. yeah, it's a, it's a terrible shame. But I recommend, regardless of this, watch the Beers Per Build channel. There's a bunch of really interesting builds on there. The GTR build's quite fun. There's a really fascinating build restoring a fire-damaged Lamborghini Huracan and fitting an LS1 into it and then oh, twin turbocharging it uh, and then doing one of those kind of heavy CGI body kit renders you sometimes see only for real. It's a really <laughs> amazing build. Again, not quite to my taste and I mm. think some of the workmanship is rushed because they're trying to hit a SEMA deadline, but the ambition is huge and they do pull off things that you just wouldn't think possible like you know retrofitting an audi r8 gearbox to this ls1 and making that work <laughs> so this is the first manual hurricane in the world oh wow stuff like that you know there's no shortage of ambition and i love that so we've gone on about this a long time because there's no news <laughs> <laughs> watch beers for build okay there is a bit more news actually chris tell us what else there is so I've been watching some of the Sky F1 content. There was news this week of both a, a calendar being published for at least the next few months. Yeah, it's an eight-race calendar. And along with it is apparently a 90-page document outlining how F1 is going to isolate itself and basically protect the sport from the virus that's going around, but also try and contain it within the paddock and all that sort of thing. So this weekend is the start of the IndyCar season. So we're going to start seeing races happen now. I didn't know that. I'm quite excited about that. Where are they racing? I, America. And <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Your IndyCar knowledge is on point, sir. I, it's It's the... This is on Motor Speedway. Um, <laughs> now, if you listen to Will Buxton's intermission interview, he was saying there, you have one broadcaster and they, there's nobody else. There's no kind of competition between the broadcasters. There's no mingling between the broadcasters or anything like that. There's one team who turn up and they record the whole thing. So what's going to be interesting with Formula One and from hearing the Sky team talking about it, some of them aren't going out, some are. How are the media going to work in the paddock? So to go through some of the things that have been discussed, 
the teams won't have their motorhomes. So things like meals, office space will be in what would usually be the paddock club uh, hospitality areas above the pits. The teams won't intermingle. So all the teams will keep themselves to themselves. The idea being that if one team gets a virus case, it won't affect the others. And the promoters have actually said, if a team can't compete, then so be it. We'll carry on without that team. So there also won't, there won't be a driver parade because there won't be fans. The grid formation will be a lot shorter because there's nobody there to watch them all set up. Um, things like the podium are slightly in question over what's going to actually happen there. Yeah, I wondered about things like the podium post-qualifying um, interviews. Basically, is this going to be the best 2020 for racing drivers who hate doing <laughs> publicity? And they're going to be like, brilliant, all we have to do is turn up and drive and go home again. And we don't have to speak to the media and we don't have to repeat the same lines over and over again in the pen. I'm assuming they're going to be some media or is everybody not there so do you know do people like brundle and crofty get to go there because they're providing the the world feed of commentary or is even that going to be done remotely so from what i can gather the driver press conferences and so what i'm going on here is um ted's notebook is back and if you like f1 if you like the minutiae of f1 ted walking around to north london park talking into a phone on a selfie stick is actually a really good way to sort of keep on top of things. But oh, also, is that how he's doing it? Oh, cool. I mm. haven't watched any of the Ted's Notebook stuff. I have watched some of the Sky stuff uh, because they've got um, Jensen Button in uh, quite a lot commentating commenting on you know current events and stuff because mm. he's part of their team and he doesn't have anything to do at the moment. Uh, so <laughs> he's more available than he might otherwise be. They're not going to have as big a team going out. I think the commentary teams will probably still go out, but... What I was thinking was, what about some of the pit lane reporters, the people who go from team to team to team? Because they've said that the driver press conferences, and I don't know if these are the FIA ones or whether they are the team press conferences or both, will be done via video conference of some sort. But if your job is to go from team to team, talk to people, find out what's happened, is there any point in doing that? Is there any opportunity to do that? I don't know. It's very tricky to go. If everyone turns up in a paddock in Austria and everyone is deemed to be clear of COVID-19, then surely there is no problem in going from paddock to paddock and, you know, garage to garage and talking mm. to people. It's what happens when you go back home for a bit, but not two weeks, and then you come back in again. That's where it gets a bit shaky. But mm. I feel like the sport does still need that because it's going to be just for TV. And you mm. need all that extra insight. I don't think they're going to be... I mean, think about the way James Hunt and Murray Walker used to do some races from London in a little cubby hole with a TV monitor. Mm. And and I wondered whether or not there'd be a degree of, of that going on. But it's nice they're flying out there because there's something you get from particularly any commentary box where they can actually look out and see the cars. Um, mm. Having Anthony Davidson on the Skypad to do analysis, all that kind of thing that presumably does depend on having a reasonably big team from Sky there to enable all that stuff. Mm. Um, hey, you know what? I'm just happy that there's some motor racing coming. It means we miss <laughs> some of those more interesting films that Martin Brundle and the team do on the history of the sport around particular events. I don't know, I don't know if those are going to happen to start with, and those are the kind of things that we often pick up on. 
like Ooh. the excellent piece that uh, Sky did with Martin and his son Alex racing at the uh, Nürburgring last year. Uh, maybe we don't get those kind of pieces this year, and that's a shame. But hey, you know, live sport is coming back. By the way, I have live Googled. It is IndyCar at Texas Motor Speedway. Ah, I thought it was. Which, of course, you knew. But I'm going to tune into that, actually, because I haven't watched any IndyCar for a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll watch that because there's been no motor racing to speak of <laughs> other than the virtual kind. And the virtual kind has kind of lost its appeal for me. Uh, what else has happened? Ah, oh, I've been watching lots of the Grand Tour again. Oh, yeah. Simply because I think I've had enough time away from it for me to go, yeah, I could watch some of those again. So I actually went back and watched the Grand Tour Presents Seaman. Which I know you you texted me to say you'd watched a bit of it and it wasn't mm. as bad. And I thought, I'll go back and watch that. And it wasn't as bad as we'd originally said. I did enjoy it. Uh, I found more of it funny mm. the second time around than I did before. Uh, there's still bits that make me cringe, but there's enough in there that makes me go, yeah, I could totally watch that again. Uh, and I've picked out quite a lot of the episodes from the third season to watch right. there's there's a there's a bunch of really good ones there's a great one where richard hammond talks about uh jim clark and the amazing yep. year he had that's a fantastic one uh the uh, the little hot hatches one that's really fun the three gt cars through azerbaijan yes that's quite fun there's loads of good stuff in there there's a few bits that make you go ah slightly cringeworthy but most of it is fun watching mm. and it makes me happy that they're still doing stuff and there's going to be more Grand Tour in the future at some point. So if you haven't watched it for a while or you gave up on it at Series 1 because it was rubbish, and some of it in Series 1 was rubbish, let's yes. be honest. They had a cracking opener and then the quality varied wildly thereafter in that first series. I recommend going back and cherry-picking a few from Season 2 and watching all of Season 3. That's a, That was a really strong and consistent season, I felt. So, yeah, go back and watch some of the Grand Tour. Which series was it that had the Jag episode? Season 2, Episode 6. The one thing that those three do really well is not only having a joke and having a laugh, but making you feel included in it that... It's not just kind of silly for the sake of being silly, or it's not elitist or denigrating of anybody in particular. You're kind of in on the joke, and the Jag one's just brilliant how the cars break and they just pretend to carry on like they haven't. Yeah. Or... That's a high point of that second series, I think, because, yes, they play it completely sort of straight-faced to the camera, but the the what they're saying mm. is, is very knowing. So they're not chuckling along with you. They're saying it in a, in a sort of serious way, but you know, and they know that you know, mm. that they, they're asking about and, and pretending like things of just, hey, this has just gained an extra six cylinders. That's a really good episode. Uh, probably the best of... Actually, no, see, season two's got another one. Blast from the past where Clarkson and Hammond go to that banked track outside of Barcelona, is it? And they've got the Aston Martin and one other. What's that oh, other car? It, is that one where it's the Aston Martin? Was it a Jaguar replica? Yes, and it is. James Mays in a Civic Type R. Yeah, I can't remember the cars, but that one's really good because that feels genuine. They both love those two continuation cars and James May loves the Honda just as much <laughs> because he is a man who likes Hondas and he does like things that are clever and good and well-engineered and the Honda is all mm. three of those things. 
That's I, another good one. Then there's some silly stuff. Um, I do quite like the one where they're in SUVs. Like they're, 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 I think they're in a Porsche Macan, the, the Alfa Romeo, uh, Stelvio, and the Range Rover Velar. Um, mm. That's quite fun. Yeah, basically what we're saying is go back and, and revisit some of the highlights of the Grand Tour Season 2 and watch all of Season 3 if you haven't watched these things and mm. you're stuck for something to watch. And let's face it, you probably have exhausted all opportunities by now and are digging through the dregs of your <laughs> Netflix collection. Or... As we always say on pretty much every episode, and we don't get paid for it, unless they want us to, <laughs> get a Motor Trend subscription because there is just a wealth of stuff. And if you find any other series, like I've been watching recently in a non-car related series, where somebody goes, oh, it's just like Top Gear. It's not. It's never like Top Gear. It's three people doing something in a place doesn't make it like Top Gear. No, with the best will in the world, the closest thing to Top Gear that I've seen recently has been Car Trek, and that's because they deliberately yes. made it exactly like <laughs> Top Gear. Lots of people have suggested other shows that are just like Top Gear, but they're not. Even Top Gear isn't quite like Top Gear anymore. Although I've actually been catching some of those on BBC Two as well while waiting for something else to come on. And I've got to say, I'm actually reassessing those as well. I think that some of it... I still kind of bristle slightly at because it's possibly moved away from the car nerdy bit where I am, you know, it's it's no longer my top gear. And that's my problem. It's not their problem. But it is actually kind of better the, than I remember in place. I think partially I've relaxed. I've kind of gone, it's okay. It's okay. It's not as bad as we feared. It's good. There's some good, solid stuff in here. Not just Chris's stuff. You know, the three of them, it's actually quite good. But it does feel a bit like when you reach a certain age and the shops that you used to go to when you were young and trendy start selling clothes that are a bit ridiculous and you kind of start hankering after Marks and Spencer and you start spending more money at places like that because the thing that you used to love is no longer like that anymore. It's now become something else for another generation. The difference between Top Gear with Clarkson, Hammond and May and Top Gear with any of the presenters they've had since, but let's take the current lineup of Chris Harris, Paddy McGuinness and Freddie Flintoff. Whenever the three Amigos would rock up on one of their three car challenges and they'd get out, they'd spend five minutes bickering about the car but there would always be some nuggets of deep knowledge dropped in there where they'd go you see that door mirror that door mirror is off of an austin allegro <laughs> isn't that got the gearbox out of a transit van or something along those lines that tells you that yes they're being entertaining and stupid but underneath that is a deep knowledge of the subject matter and every mm. now and then it would bubble up with little things like that where they'd reveal that they are in fact serious car nerds and serious journalists and with the best will in the world, you don't get that with any of the subsequent presenter trios. Only Harris can do it. Freddie Flintoff can't do it and Paddy McGuinness can't do it. LeBlanc? LeBlanc could to a degree with the stuff he was interested in, certainly with Porsche and, and other cars, but not from some obscure British Leyland car from the 1970s <laughs> or something like that. And who would expect him to? He could probably do it with something American from that side. Mm. And I really like LeBlanc for that reason, and he had a really good chemistry with Harris for me. I, yeah. I enjoyed that. I've gone back and watched their um, Supercar for All Seasons video with mm. Harris in a, a 911 Turbo 
Cabriolet and LeBlanc in a, I think, a Huracan Spider or something like that, a Lambo anyway. That's a really great film, a really entertaining film, and they've got really good chemistry bouncing off one another. Mm. I enjoy the current Top Gear. It is far more family-friendly. I found watching it with the family is far more fun because they are laughing more and mm. you know, kind of wincing and going, ugh, same old stuff, less. The, the formula that had come a little tired with the three amigos on Top Gear that had had grown a bit grating for non-car nerd viewers. And so the, you know, the new, the new guys are, are keeping it fresh and I'm looking forward to the new series, especially now that Chris Harris has shaved his blonde hair into a mohawk. <laughs> Plus also we get the, we now get top gear content on YouTube of Chris Harris going into the young timer auction shed and just being unleashed on a fleet of cars. I watched it again the other day. You two went, do you want to watch this again? I went, yes. And he's like, look, look at the buttons. Look at the tyre sidewall. Yeah. You know. YouTube's perfect for that kind of thing because it will find its audience and they don't take time out from what is now, let's face it, an entertainment show on BBC One now too, not BBC Two. Oh, so, you know, they, there's, I think the car nerd stuff will be confined to Harris going and dropping some more knowledge on some historic <laughs> racing car or something along those lines that he mm. did with the Lotus and then the uh, McRae Subaru. I think that's where the nerdery will be in a film that tells a story, and I have no problem with that. I laugh my ass off at Harris running around a golf course in a dinosaur outfit being pelted with... <laughs> Honestly, that's one of the funniest things I've seen on a car show. <laughs> so <laughs> that's almost as good as Clarkson turning to the camera and saying, someone has written the word penis on my helmet. <laughs> and then the camera cutting to Hammond saying... I did that, <laughs> which is my high watermark for things that will always make me laugh, no matter how bad it gets. That's from the Vietnam special, by the way, for those of you who are not au fait with the minutiae <laughs> of Top Gear clips. That is oh. one of my favourite ever Top Gear moments. Anyway, we've written on about Top Gear far too long because, again, there's no news. Speaking of car nerds, <laughs> the next intermission podcast i'm quite looking forward to seeing what people think because i think it's a bit of a goodie it's a bit rambling but in a good way and i am going to say no more so i'm going to, I'm going to be mysterious mysterious podcast that one's coming up in a week or so uh, this podcast will be hitting your ears before that and then that podcast will be out and if you haven't caught the previous intermission podcast with will buxton then please go and listen to that because it's really interesting and engaging and again you know if you haven't caught any of the intermission podcasts which you really should uh, then go back and listen to those two Oh, we should do some other guilt trip stuff like, you know, like and subscribe, leave us a review, send us money, <laughs> sponsor our podcast, sign up for our Patreon, click the like and button. What else? Um, smash that like button. Yeah. Reminders bell. Uh, <laughs> wash your hands. <laughs> we are being a little facetious, but we do love hearing from you. So if you do enjoy what we do, please drop us a message, drop us a tweet. Let us know what you like. Let us know other films that we could review, any YouTube channels we should be reviewing or might be interesting. Any of that stuff, get in touch. Let us know. We'll give you a shout out in a future episode. And if you know somebody who you think will like this and it kind of tickles their interest, go and badger them and see if they like it as well. Mega, that's a, that's the guilt trip over with. And now we're going to progress into the review section of the uh, podcast. 
where this week we're talking about being racing drivers. And this is a mm, flexible subject. This is about amateur <laughs> people who are not racing drivers. They are other things. They pursue other career options. This is about them being racing drivers in their spare time. And so I am going to review the 2018 movie The Gentleman Driver. But first, Chris is going to talk about Eric Banner's Love the Beast. Love the Beast, which I remember coming out in 2009, which is one of those, oh my God, is it that long ago? And it made quite a splash at the time because it's about Eric Banner, the Australian actor, and his Ford XB Falcon Coupe. It is about as an Australian film as you can imagine. It needs like Paul Hogan drinking a Casamine 4X on a surfboard to make it any more Australian. Does Eric Banner show up in a hat with corks around it? No. But... So it's not as Australian as it could be. Is Kylie Minogue in it? (laughs) Well, it does have the car that he bought when he was 15, this Ford Falcon, which, if you've never seen it, is... I think it's the car that they used in the original Mad Max, the Mel Gibson. So it's enormous thing that used to compete at Bathurst, and that's where he saw it, and that's what inspired him to get this car. And from the time he was 15 up until this film was made, it was his car. He never got rid of it. If it broke, him and his mates would all come round and fix it. If it was fixed, they'd all go off in it driving. He raced it, well, he rallied it. Um, He had it all fixed up. And he did the uh, Target Tasmania, which has two classes brilliantly. There is a... Class 4 Porsche 911 GT3 Cup cars and proper rally cars and Evos and Impressas and all of that sort of stuff. And then there is another class for classics, which is basically anything from old 911s to Mustangs to the Falcon, all sorts of stuff. So Eric Banner, having done reasonably well for himself, has this fo- this Falcon completely restored, bumper to bumper, and turned into a proper racing car. I mean, this thing looks stunning. The guy who built it said there's like 3,000 hours in it, and I can completely appreciate that. Full roll cage. The fuel system in the boot is a work of art. It's all sheet metal inside, gauges, all that. Fantastic. Um, So him and his mates take this car to Tasmania to go and do essentially a, a road rally, the, the the Target Tasmania. And without spoilers, the rally is eventful, and there's then the question of sort of what the follow-up is. Now, the documentary itself isn't actually that long. It's like 92 minutes. But there's obviously a lot of production that's gone into it. It opens with... Eric driving a 993 of some description, possibly a GT2 track car, practicing it, racing it. Um, And this voiceover that reminds me a lot of the Gumball Rally film that we talked about. The, um, not the Gumball Rally, the 2003 documentary. Well, the one with... with Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds is, yeah. And he talks about what it's like to be a racing driver, what it's like to be driving, to be completely in the moment. He has that kind of slightly laid-back, bassy, talking while the the sun goes down over the track sort of thing. And then it's about his mates. And it's about them all growing up together. 
is about his dad having had this Ford Thunderbird for as long as he can remember. The rally itself is actually pretty brief. It's not some big team effort. It seems to be literally him and his mates in a garage. Because he is Eric Banner, there's a lot of publicity around it and the, I'm sure the Tag Heuer logos all over him and the car were probably quite helpful in making this film. But then it also cuts to interviews with Jeremy Clarkson, with Jay Leno, with Dr. Phil, who, if you don't know the name, is that guy who always used to pop up in, on uh, Oprah, talking about... Well, particularly with Dr. Phil, he's talking about the kind of the, the, the psychological aspects of both being a racing driver and having that spark. But also, as the film goes on, it starts looking more at Eric, more at what it's like to have a passion that is potentially a bit risky and what he is going to do in the aftermath of this rally. Watching it, there's this one bit where one of the friends, and because you never really get to know them that well, because I think the the documentary is so short, it kind of jumps through the subject quite a lot. They say that this group all only know each other through Eric, and they don't really talk to each other outside of when Eric talks to them or, or brings them together. The more I watched it, the more I realized it's not a film about the car. It's a film about Eric. It all happens through Eric Banner. So it talks about what it's like for him being a racing driver, what he gets out of it. It talks about his friends, his youth, him growing up. Um, After the rally's over, it's like two days later, and he's in New York for a red carpet event and TV interviews and things. But even those are very much from his perspective. You see him getting ready. He's talking in the limo about how he kind of doesn't really want to do these things and how they always ask the same questions and how he's always thinking about his car. You know, he's just come off this rally. It's still going around in his head. He's That's the mindset that he's in. And then as the film kind of gets towards the end, it then becomes what's the next thing he does? What does he do with this thread that's run through his life? What's it mean to have this thing, which has been such a constant as you've grown up, as you've got married, as you've had a family, as your career has progressed? You know, would you walk away from that? Would you stay with it? What do you do? Um, And I think it's quite a credit to the film that they never really talk about the car. They don't talk about what the engine is, what the gearbox is, what the suspension is. There's there's a few scenes where you almost kind of wish they'd gone into it a bit more, but then I think it possibly would have lost some of the um, the appeal. And I've got to say, actually, the person that stood out most to me, well, one is Eric Banner. He was It was obviously his project, very, very open, really felt like it was a look into his world. It's not so much like... Um, do you remember that series that Patrick Dempsey did about him trying to be an LMP2 driver? Very vaguely. Uh, was he not? Did he not do LMP2? I thought he always did GTM. He no. He was trying to do uh, a series. It was one of the maybe an IMSA series in LMP2, and basically kind of went, "I'm not up to this." Jumped in a 911 GTE car and then went, "Aha! This is it." 
yeah, that, that there's a bearing of that on uh, my film to come later. Mm. About the Eric Banner thing, I remember the interview where I think it was for his role in the first Star Trek reboot mm. with Clarkson on Top Gear. He mm. came in to do the Star in a Reasonably Priced Car and Clarkson asked him, have you ever turned down a movie to go racing? And he said, can I answer this honestly? Of course I have. <laughs> and that told you everything you needed to know about Eric Banner, the petrol head. Mm. And yeah, I I have seen this movie... A long time ago, I probably when it came out, I haven't seen it for ages. I should revisit it because I remember really enjoying it. Uh, you, you've been a bit cagey around the the one of the moments that I think is actually shown in that Top Gear clip. Quite possibly. But uh, yeah, you're right. People are interested in people. Mm. They're not interested in cars. Like real nitty gritty nerds like us might want to know what's under the hood, mister. But actually to give it its broadest appeal, you want to make it about the people around the cars. And that's where a lot of the best documentaries are most successful. If I think about the best Le Monde documentary is Truth in 24. Mm -hmm. And that's because it introduced you to a cast of characters. It doesn't go into the absolute minutiae of why Audi's diesel is the best for <laughs> running at night in the wet, for example. That was it, truth, truth in 24 too. Uh, yeah, but it gives you the characters. It gives mm. you the people involved and their differing personalities and their strengths. And that's far more engaging to people. I could show Truth in 24 to anybody, racers, you know, racing fans or not, and mm. they'd probably enjoy it. And I think the same might be true of this if if you have friends or partners that are not necessarily into cars but would quite want to watch something with a well-known name who is into cars, they might enjoy this. They'd sit through it and they wouldn't go, God, that was two hours I want back. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think the brevity of it possibly works against it a little bit because we're used now to these in-depth documentaries where... At, so Truth in 24, for example... You get to learn the engineers. You get to learn who the people are. But you also have this sense of what the event is doing. So There's a storyline overarching with that. And it helps having a race that gives you that storyline. Mm. Whereas with this, because it's, it's, it's also not him getting the car run by a professional team. It's not about the result. It's literally his mates. Like his One of his oldest mates is sitting in the co-driver seat. And... With the greatest of respect to him, you know, he's not the greatest co-driver in the world because he's a friend of Eric Banner and they thought, they've gone, should we go and do this rally? He went, yeah. You know, what's important is the fact they're doing it together. But because I think the documentary tries to cover so much ground, you don't get to learn that much about the characters. There are some who are in it more than others. I mean, obviously the co-driver for, for obvious reasons. Um, you don't, get to know that much about the event but they kind of talk about it in fairly general terms i think it could have been a bit longer i think it could have had a bit more of what they were doing or a bit more about the people or a bit more about you know what they were doing on the event um the 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 interview that does stand out to me i think jeremy clarkson is is very jeremy clarkson but Jay Leno seems much more like the Jay Leno that we now know from Jay, Le Jay Leno's garage. So at the time, this was when he was right in his, um, in his ascendancy 
as a talk show host. And yeah, there's always an act that kind of comes with that. Whereas with this, it felt much more like two car guys sitting down and having a chat. Yeah, you get that with car guys though. And I think that's the same with that little clip I said about Banner on Top Gear, the star is a reasonably priced car. That's two guy, car guys having a chat. Mm. It's like there's a sixth sense that says, are you a car guy? If I were to say to you, Metzger engine, would you go, yes? <laughs> and then you can all nerd out about how, you know, came from the GT1 project and rah, 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 no problems mm. with the water cooling on these ones, <laughs> etc. And nerd out about it in the best possible way. And then that gives you that familiarity to get mm. a slightly more natural interview. And I guess with someone like Jay Leno, who is an enormous petrol head and, and Banner, who clearly is as well, you're going to have that common ground and you don't need to f- seek it out first. It's there. Mm. Your car guys, you've instantly got something you can both engage on. And I think there's also when you're both car guys there, it's not just a knowledge thing. It's not just who knows the most about a thing. It's being able to relate to somebody when they say, I've had this car since the seventies. I mean, Jay Leno as famously has every car he's ever owned. Um, there is one clip where they walk around his garage and they're like, here's the Buick Roadmaster that I had when I started, you know, when I came to LA and I was sleeping in it. And he kind of talks about it while walking past a McLaren F1, not giving it a second glance. But yeah, it, it works for car people because they can understand and they can identify with the emotion, with the sentiment behind an old car. Even when it's an old car that you know is a bit crap, but it's still the thing that you love for whatever sentimental reason. And I think for that, it's a great one to recommend. I think it is slightly forgotten in the in the history of car films, which I think is a shame. I don't think you can... Well, I certainly couldn't find it on any of the major streaming services. I think you can buy it in somewhere, but I was struggling to find it and i think you used to be able to get it on itunes i'm pretty sure that that's where i got my copy well i think it probably doesn't help that it's on a slightly niche um distributor it's one of those things the the older these documentaries get the harder they become to find Mm. i'm surprised this hasn't been picked up by one of the streaming services both amazon prime and netflix have a surprisingly deep library of of content and motor racing documentaries and the like but yeah so i i think it's it's a shame because I think it is a good documentary of its time. I think there's a lot in it for a lot of people, and I think it is something a bit different from other documentaries, both past and present. I think there's still a lot to recommend it. And yeah, if anybody from Netflix or Amazon uh, is listening, go and have a word with the distributor and get it on your service. Yeah, great movie. I, I'm going to have to watch that again, assuming I can find my copy. I definitely had it because I definitely saw it when it came out. But yes, that was Love the Beast. Now, my review is a film about a similar kind of well-to-do set of gentleman drivers. Um, it's called The Gentleman Driver. It came out in 2018, which seems quite recent. I seem to remember it being out earlier than that. Mm. But the, the IMDb says 2018. This is a film that follows a group of amateur racing drivers who are competing in endurance racing. So it follows four drivers, each of whom are successful businessmen, and 
they are competing in both GT cars, so that's your kind of your Porsche 911s, your Aston Martins, etc., and also the LMP2, so that's the step down from the top flight uh, endurance racing prototypes. It gives you an overview of what each of these very wealthy gentlemen does in their day job, and it then goes into how they work as gentleman drivers in the sport. Shall we explain what a gentleman driver is? I suppose, yeah. I suppose if you, if you don't know what a gentleman driver is, a gentleman driver is an amateur who brings money to the sport. They There are classes in endurance racing that are purely for professionals, drivers who earn their living driving. And then there are classes that are for amateurs. So a, a an endurance racing team, and endurance racing is, is unique in that you have more than one driver for a team. It can be made up of two professionals and one amateur driver. And quite often, the difference between a good team and a bad team will be the amateur driver because the pros are all of a similar enough level that, as it's mentioned in the documentary at one point, they almost cancel one another out. And so if you have a particularly talented amateur driver, that can mean the difference between winning and losing in your team. And so these amateur drivers bring budget to the teams. In some instances, they are the people who enable the teams to go racing for a season, who make the books balance by bringing either sponsorship or actually paying for their drives. I mean, some of them say that they don't bring they don't actually pay out of their own pocket. They just bring sponsors along who pay for the whole thing in return for the exposure. Some of them own companies that sponsor the team that they race for. The wealthy racing drivers are Ed Brown, Ricardo Gonzalez, Mike Grash, I forget how to say his name, and Paul Dallalana. Paul Dallalana is a name I know from watching the World Endurance Championship for years and years. He's been racing with Aston Martin for as long as I can remember. (laughs) Uh, He's clearly very handy. Um, Ed Brown is the owner of Tequila Patron and... Uh, the patrol racing team, Ricardo Gonzalez. I forget what he does. Uh, there's a there's a whole bunch oh, uh, of of sort of talking heads with the the gentleman drivers, talking about why they do it, what it gives them. It's there's a very illuminating uh, quote from one of them where they say, when they get a a bit of praise from the pro driver on their team, it means more to them than any success in business, <laughs> which I found kind of telling. But there's not an enormous amount of insight in this. It's very slickly presented. There's loads of great footage licensed, presumably from the World Endurance Championship and maybe IMSA mm. as well. Um, there is a sort of semi-commentary from John Hindhoff from Radio Le Mans, Dot com. I should say that because it's only ever Radio Le Mans at Le Mans. Other, any all other times, <laughs> it's Radio Radio Show Limited or RadioLeMans.com. Um, he provides a lot of talking heads intermission, adding insight and background and colour and explaining things to the layman, and he's good at that. Yes, but there's no real insight from the drivers themselves. You get the same kind of thing from all of them, which is I'm competitive in business and I'm competitive on the track. I do this because I'm competitive. I'm always competitive. Uh, And after a while you feel like saying, okay, we get it. You have a really nice watch and you have lots of money and you race cars in your spare time. You don't need to keep telling us that you're competitive. We can see that. Why do you do it beyond that? 
is a question that never really gets answered. And I remember watching this the first time and just being like, hey, cool, I'm finding a bit more out about these names I've seen on timing sheets and heard in commentary and never really paid much attention to because like it or not, when I'm watching endurance racing, I'm generally watching the pro categories. So I'm watching LMP1, which is all pro, LMP2, which is all pro at the time uh, of, of watching and and maybe GTE Pro and GTE Am is kind of, and there's some cars and if it's an Aston Martin doing well, I'll be happy, but I don't really care who's driving. There's loads of interesting gentleman drivers from history that they could have kind of brought in to illustrate gentleman drivers throughout the history of the sport. Phil Hill, uh, a guy called Prince Bira, who was an actual prince, raced for a bunch of teams, didn't win anything, but very enthusiastic. There's more to this than I think they delve into. They focus so much on these four guys and they don't tell the story of gentlemen drivers as a whole. It's just, here are these guys competing across this season and here's why they do it. There is some emotion there. There's there's people making mistakes. One interesting thing that I... I I noted was the the fact that these are generally older gentlemen. They may have already been success. They've been already successful in business. They've probably already got families, and fitness is a big thing in endurance racing. And these guys are having to work twice as hard as the younger guys to get into the kind of shape that means they can stay in a hot racing car for a double stint of three hours or more and not fade. The film opens with Paul Dallalana dropping the car in the last stint at Le Mans and causing the and you know cost, costing the team a victory because he wasn't physically fit enough. There's a shot of um, I think it's Mike Gash doing like this mega rope exercise where he's got what two look like two boat tying up ropes. There's probably a real word for that. <laughs> Don't come at me, boat fans. <laughs> but they're huge things, and he's doing that thing where you ripple the ropes with your arms, and I think, damn, those things are as big as my thighs. I probably couldn't lift them. So clearly fit, you know, being fit enough to do this is a challenge for these guys, and I think they probably thrive on that challenge in the way that they do with all these other things. But it, it's, it's just a little bit shallow. It's fun to watch what it takes for a gentleman driver to be successful in that kind of level of sport it's around the 2015 2016 season so it's a teeny bit out of date now but it's interesting in that respect to see what it takes to be and a successful modern gentleman driver what i would like to have seen is a bit more of the history of gentleman drivers throughout racing and then interspersed with bringing it up to the modern day i would also have quite liked an actual a, a narrator to just fill in some of the blanks or guide you through a bit more than just John Hindhoff doing a talking head, talking in the way that he does with great passion and great depth and insight. But it's probably too uh, a level too nerdy. And for this to be a, a, a truly great watch, it needs to work for non-nerds as well as nerds. Mm. And it just doesn't quite get there. It's like I say, there's that it's, it's glossy but shallow. However, if you do like the idea of watching a bunch of rich guys race GT cars <laughs> and you are interested to see what it takes for them to do it, then it's worth an hour and a half of your time. I'd give this a C. I'd give this a 7 out of 10 maybe. Um, it's fun if you're a racing nerd, but there are many, many better documentaries out there. So... 
Ah, if you if you've got a spare hour and a half and you can't find anything else on Netflix, this is available on Netflix, so you can stream it there. Um, but I don't think the characters themselves, well, you know, they're very successful and they're quite engaging when they're speaking, but none of them are interesting enough to to hook you in in the way that a documentary about I don't know some of the more historical characters might do. Mm. I can't say I'd go 100% recommend watching this, but like I said, if you are looking for something to watch motor racing-wise on Netflix and you've got a spare hour and a half and you've seen everything else, give it a whirl and let us know what you think. Moving on now to our YouTube pick of the weeks. I've gone for a video that I saw in my YouTube recommendations, watched kind of on the back of that, and have been thinking about repeatedly since, which is Matt Mormon of the Obsessed Garage YouTube channel doing a story on uh, the VinWiki channel where he talks about how being a YouTuber has helped his OCD. It's stunningly open on his part about what he went through when he was younger, when he was growing up through his career and this turning point in his life of going through essentially a breakdown and picking up YouTube as a form of therapy. Um, there's another one as well, which I'm not, I, I can't go into these in any great detail simply because I can't do his story justice. But they are both this, ep- uh, both this episode of um, the Vin Wiki channel, but also the other one, which is called what it's like to own a supercar with OCD. And let me be clear here. When we talk about OCD, this isn't the, oh, I'm just a neat freak, I've got OCD. This is proper clinical OCD. To hear somebody talk about what it takes for them to go to an event knowing that their car is going to get dirty on the way there, what they do the night before, what they do the night before that, what they do as soon as they get it home. It's just mind-boggling for him to be able to put you in his shoes quite so well. Um, he He says it in the video itself. He doesn't want to be sat there telling this story, but he knows that it's good for him to do it. He knows that he finds this stuff difficult, but he also finds that doing the stuff that is difficult for him helps him, helps him psychologically, helps the problems that he has in life. It's very, you know, this is the one that I tweeted about at the time, saying this is somebody talking about recovery. This isn't somebody just with a funny, jokey thing to tell. His channel, if you like, looking at garages and car cleaning and all that sort of stuff. It's not like Ammo NYC. It's an acquired taste. It is. It's very quiet. It's very obsessive. It is his YouTube channel is literally obsessed garage. Well his whole company, his 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 whole company's built around his obsession to find the best products with which to clean your car. Mm. And there's videos of walking around his new unit where all of his stock is laid out in neat rows. And I came across this guy because he did Ed Bolian's Garage. 
Mm. He redecorated. Ed Bolian reached out to him and said, "Hey, I want you to to suggest products and and color schemes and what I should do to have my garage redecorated." Which is not something he normally does, but I think he took it on because it was a challenge, and and brought loads of of new gear into Ed Bolian's life. Ed is not a detailer or a car washer. <laughs> he hates doing that kind of thing. So I think there's a bit of a it's a little odd to see all that stuff there, but clearly somebody else can come and use all of that stuff. But I could <laughs> see what Matt got out of the the, the process. Um, I watched a few of his um, videos on his channel. I have subscribed to his channel. I don't watch everything because there is, I don't have clinical OCD. I just like things being neat and I like detailing, uh, but it's entertaining to watch some stuff to see his outlook on life. I will admit mm. I have not watched this video because I wasn't sure. I watched his video on the maths behind him running a giveaway. He did a VinWiki story on the maths behind him doing a giveaway of one of his cars based on how many orders you placed with Obsessed Garage. You got X many entries into this giveaway contest and he actually revealed the numbers behind it and how I think he ended up making money on it or breaking even at the very least and you know lots of publicity, etc., etc. I watched that one. I haven't watched this one and, and I, I must admit I had no idea it would be uh, quite so in-depth and open. And actually, I would recommend, if you haven't already, check out the VinWiki channel as well. It's a really simple concept. It's a room over Ed Bolian's garage where people go in and they tell a story, and that's it. Yeah, it's called VinWiki Car Stories. Mm. Yeah, or rather, the, most of the stuff that's posted there is people telling stories, and there are stories from everybody. There's Alex mm. Roy telling a fantastic story, which I think was one of my videos way back in episode 10 or something like that <laughs> there's stories from all sorts of automotive youtubers have shown up just characters and there's some great stuff from ed himself stories about selling cars you have to go and watch the story about the prostitute lamborghini <laughs> because i mean ed bolin is a tremendous storyteller and all of his stories about working at Supercars of Atlanta or whatever it was are interesting, but there's a number of them around the prostitute Lamborghini and other strange people you meet in the process of selling supercars that are so good. Watch those. There was a video that was things we've learned in 2018, and one of them was about the woman with the Lamborghini who had recently been sentenced, so she was going to swap her cheerleading outfit for an orange jumpsuit for the next uh, five to ten years. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're, I mean, they often come up in my recommended list. And I think because they are 10 minutes or so, they do five a week. So that, I think they've got over 700, nearly 800 videos at this point and 1.3 million subscribers. And they tend to get quite sort of recommended and you'll be like, oh, that's kind of interesting. But they are, they're kept concise. They're kept interesting. You sometimes see some people come around more than off, more than others but they are generally produced well and they are edited in such a way that they are concise and they are compelling and they're just really nice little nibbles. So you can go and just scroll through their video feed and go, oh, that sounds interesting. Click it and it probably will be. Yeah, I, I've done a binge on these. When I discovered the VinWiki channel uh, about a year ago now, I, I binged on tons of them and I tend to just now pick and choose the ones that sound like they're interesting, which is how I came to skip that one about um, taming my OCD, but I will go back and watch that now. Mm. That's a good recommendation. Um, I have gone with a video that is really only worth watching for 22.86 seconds of time. <laughs> this is a gentleman called Jos Goodyear. 
doing a run at the legendary Shelsey Walsh hill climb. And he's in a GWR Raptor car with a supercharged 1340cc Suzuki Hayabusa engine, which gives it 480 horsepower, and the whole car weighs less than 300 kilos. <laughs> so you can imagine what that does for you. Nearly 500 horsepower in a car that weighs bugger all. This video is a slow starter. There's like a minute of him, you know, tyre warmers being taken off and him rolling up to the start line and the, the engine sounds like a bag of spanners. And then, <laughs> then he goes and there is about half a second of really awful wheel spin and then there's a little annotation that flashes up and it says 100 miles an hour. <laughs> and it is like, I'm sure with a better hookup, the car would be doing 100 miles an hour in less than two seconds. It's insane. It's just a run up the Shelsey Walsh hill climb. But wow. it's, the, it's a run that took 22.86 seconds. He's one of only three people to have ever done sub 23 up the hill climb. It's astonishing. Wow. If you if you have a an ounce of petrol in your veins, you've got to watch this because it'll make your jaw hit the floor. I shall say no more than that. Watch this video. It's really <laughs> short, so it won't take you very long. It's not a 10-minute Vinwicky story. But watch it and marvel at what 300 kilos and nearly 500 horsepower can do with a skilled driver at the wheel. <laughs> so there you go. Um, the channel, I've gone with Hoovy's Garage, which I, we've mentioned on the on the podcast before, but I've found myself watching more of Tyler Hoover's work um, over the lockdown, partly because he's been one of the producers who's been consistently putting out stuff even though we're in lockdown. Mm-hmm. Quite a lot of the YouTubers have found it difficult to get content or have had legal problems, CB is <laughs> for build. Uh, but Tyler's been putting out a bunch of interesting stuff about buying a Range Rover for his wife, uh, about a buying a ratty 996 convertible and comparing it to the current 992 there's just loads of interesting stuff and he's he's really engaging very silly his opening line is always welcome to the dumbest automotive youtube (laughs) channel and uh you you kind of go yeah sometimes you do make dumb decisions but they're always from the heart that's the thing Mm. i love about this is he's always never making head decisions He's famous for just buying stuff because he loves it and then losing money on it. <laughs> but I don't think sometimes he, he I, I think sometimes there's a, there's a, there's a business brain behind the front, clearly. Mm. Um, and I enjoy seeing people buy things from the heart. So I recommend checking out Hoovy's Garage. I like the fact that he buys stuff that he loves that mm. other people don't like, you know, big old American barges with that are, have got wood paneling down the side and, um, you know, Rolls Royce Phantoms. Sh- Rolls Royce Phantoms that are broken. He bought a um, an Alpina B7, I think, that was thoroughly stuffed and then spent a load of money with his mechanic to try and get it fixed, only for the mechanic to go, no, it, even though we've replaced all this stuff, it's still broken. It's just scrap. <laughs> but he bought it because he used to work in a dealership that had one and they were rare as rocking horse poo and he just loved it. And I love that enthusiasm so please check his channel out he's also put me onto the uh, aston martin rapide as a secret bargain i think they're so underrated less than 40 grand for a v12 anyway before we make very bad decisions (laughs) i think on that note it is time to end the podcast uh, if you agree or disagree with what we've said, then please do get in touch. Like Chris said, you can get us on Twitter at Auto Movie Pod. 
if you've got some stuff you think we should watch, if you found a secret documentary on any of the streaming services that we haven't covered, then please do let us know. Uh, otherwise, we're going to go off and pretend to be fat racing drivers. <laughs> Until next time, everyone. Bye.